0: I started out last week talking about prayer. Maybe you've been alerted to seeing some things uh, from different avenues uh, via whether it's Facebook or YouTube or if you get channels like CBN or or whatever. You might get uh, reports of calls for prayer across the nation and even across the world. And I kind of talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, I just want to say, just kind of going off of what Jack said this morning, let's just take some time this week, uh, each of us on our own, and let's consider if not to say that you haven't done this, but I I mean, be intentional uh, this morning uh, to encourage you to be intentional to say, Lord. What do you want me to do with all that's going on in the world, with all that's going on in our nation, in our community, what would you have for me, first of all, in prayer? Uh, my wife and I were, were praying last night, and just a uh, sense came over me, uh, kind of like if, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel. Uh, I love how Daniel Praise for his nation. Uh, there they are. They're in captivity. They they've been they've been judged by the Lord for years and years and years for turning their back on Him. Kind of sounds familiar. And here they they have been taken to Babylon. They've been in captivity. And Daniel looks at the book of Jeremiah, of all places, and he says, "Wait a minute. We're we're about to go home. I can see prophetically in the Scripture here." that we're about to go home. But he opens his prayer to God uh, very humbly, confessing the sin of his nation uh, and including himself in it. He says, Lord, we have transgressed your laws. We have done this. We have done that. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us. And that was that same kind of sense that, that came upon me last night as as we were praying. Uh, revival, awakenings, there, there's, there are things happening across the country that, that God is beginning to stir people. Uh, and, and, and I love it. But to think that God would sovereignly pour out his spirit and begin to reveal himself, begin to manifest his presence and have people begin to respond to that presence. What an act of mercy that is. We don't deserve it as a nation. Sixty million children destroyed in what should be the safest place on earth for them. When When you read the scriptures of things that God forgives and doesn't forgive, innocent blood is one of those. Um, If if you know anybody that's that's ever had an abortion or whatever, there is grace for them individually. But a nation that allows that kind of thing, at some point in time, we are going to be judged as a nation. Among other things, how how long in in the last 30, 40 years have we just kicked God out of everything, right? Um, It's coming, We don't deserve God's kindness to us. We don't deserve his grace. And yet, sovereignly, all through history, we see God showing up in his mercy and pouring his spirit out, and lives changed, communities changed, whole cities changed, Uh, nations changed because of what God is doing. So I believe, first of all, there is a call for us to cry out to the Lord for his mercy on this nation. And and before we start maybe doing some things collectively, begin to seek the Lord. Let me encourage you, begin to seek the Lord. Begin to let that that passion um, and that burden for our nation fill your heart and respond to the Lord in prayer. And I believe that we are going to see some great and mighty moves of God, maybe even here in our own community. That's, that's my prayer. Amen? So let me leave that with you this morning. Be intentional about it. Okay. Let me ask you this this morning. When you think about Jesus... And good morning, Zoom people. Glad to have you with us this morning. Forgot to acknowledge you. When you think about Jesus Christ, what comes to mind? Savior? The one who died for us? Our loving teacher? Right? John, who refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved shared a special personal bond with Jesus. I want you to hear, though, what John writes in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. He says this in, in Revelation 1-9. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. And Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet
1: as though dead.
0: Just one glance, just one glance at Jesus in all of his majesty and power and glory. God, the son, was so overwhelming to John that all he could do was fall on his face and worship. This was the reaction of the close, intimate beloved disciple. And I read that, and I have to wonder to myself, have I gotten too familiar with Jesus? Am I so used to seeing him as my loving Savior that I fail to acknowledge his majesty and his glory? How about you? The title of the message this morning is, Taking Another Look at Jesus. When I was a boy, in my teens or close to it, sometimes my mom inevitably would tell me to do something, and if I'm honest with you, I can tell you that I didn't always respond right away. But when my dad called my name, it was a different story. Now, my mom was my biggest encourager. My mom was, like probably many of yours, was the example of unconditional love. Absolutely. But again, if I'm honest, I took advantage of that. And I lost the appreciation for her authority. Do You know what I mean? Now, my dad, on the other hand, may have at times gone a little too far in establishing his authority, but no matter how I got it, deep inside of me was this respect for my dad, and I responded to him differently. Does that make sense? Now, I want you to hear me carefully this morning. Because I think you know me by now, I am of all people am not suggesting that we begin to look at Jesus in a legalistic way as a taskmaster. Okay. As a matter of fact, uh, quite in, and quite incredibly, Jesus himself said this in John 15:15. 15, 15. He says, "No longer do I call you servants." For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Not servants. Friends. But what is the difference here that Jesus points out? The difference is not that we are are not to listen and obey. The difference is, is that we also understand what we're doing, and why we're doing it. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's that we gladly do these things that he says because we know it's right, because we know it's best, and hopefully, even more so, because we have this utmost respect for the one who's telling us what to do. Right? The Bible says in Psalm 1110. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. What's that? Does it mean to be afraid of the all-powerful God? Well, for someone like Richard Dawkins, who proclaims in his best-selling book, that the, the 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 thought of a God is simply a delusion, we would look at him and say, Why aren't you afraid, O oh man, to address God Almighty as a delusion? Why aren't you shaking in your boots? Right? Psalm 92, 2 to 5 says this about the Lord. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes from before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. By his sheer magnitude, a human being should be terrified in the presence of the Lord. If an elephant walked up behind you, right, you'd be terrified. If we happened to live in the age of the dinosaurs and a brontosaurus walked, you know, within a hundred miles of you, right? You'd be terrified. How much more God the creator of heaven and earth, should a human being just crumble in his presence, right? And yet, we know his character, don't we? We know his nature. We know that he loves us deeply. And so that fear is tempered, right? But can we go too far in the other direction? Can we be casual with Jesus? Too casual. Here are some of the questions that I've personally grappled with. Can I approach his word like a cafeteria? Oh, I like this part. I don't like this over here. Oh, yeah, I'll do this, but this, mm, not so much. Can I hear time and time again that the God who created this earth, the Savior that that died for me, wants to spend time with me and then blow him off flippantly because i got other things to do? Can I make commitments in my heart to him and promise him things and then renege like it's no big deal? Are you with me? Do his commands carry the same weight as our boss or our doctor? How easy is it To sin against the Lord, knowing that we'll be forgiven. In our acceptance of his grace and his love, have we lost something of his majesty and his awesomeness? Something of the fear of the Lord. Of the honor and reverence that He is due. In John chapter five, and this is what kind of brought me to all this, this is where we've come in our, our series in John. In John five, twenty two, and following, we see a side of Jesus that we don't hear much about in sermons and Bible studies. Verse 22 says this, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 27, And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Do you realize this morning, do I realize this morning, that our Savior and our friend is the judge of the living and the dead? Do we realize that at his Thunder his voice, every soul that ever lived will command to attention and stand before him and give account. The Bible says that on that day, even at the proclamation of his name, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That tells me that on that day, we will all be like John. We will all fall at his feet, the feet of the God, the Son, in his majesty and glory and power and awesomeness. Now, in that very same context... In John 5, in verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So let me ask you this. How much more precious is that life when we truly understand what the outcome was going to be, right? How much more do we appreciate being able to come and sit in church and gather together after four months of not being able to do so? See the contrast there? How much more do we really grasp what it means for Jesus to call us friend? When we understand who it really is that's allowing us that relationship. And again, can we fully appreciate the fact that Jesus hung on a cross for us unless we understand who this really is that laid down his life? For a sinner such as I, you see what I'm trying to do here? I think what what God is leading me to do, I hope what God is leading me to do is balance. Is balance. To take another look at Jesus, realize who it is that calls us into a relationship with himself. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says this. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then in the very next uh, sentence. He says, "This are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore; you are of more value than many sparrows." Do you see the contrast here? Fear
1: and fear not.
0: There's the balance. Fear and fear not. Recognize who this is and realize what
1: he's done. We,
0: let me put it this way, reverently fear the Son of God. And at the same time, Fear not, because he laid down his life for us on that cross. We ought to be blown away with both awe and gratitude. We ought to return that love that he so graciously lavished on us. We should rejoice in in joyous delight in his friendship, and in his affection. But at the same time, like John, who knew him better than anyone else, we should also be so taken by his majesty and his glory that we fall at his feet and worship. That when he speaks to us, we jump to attention not because he's a harsh taskmaster, because he's God. And because his words are true and they're right, and because he loves us, the whole thing should cause us to respond in worship. And worship is more, and I know you know this, Worship is more than singing songs on Sunday morning. The word worship comes from two words, worth and ship. We are proclaiming his worth. We come together on Sunday morning and we, we sing praises when we pray and we proclaim his worth together. How do we proclaim his worth? Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? At 9 a.m., at 3 p.m., at 7 p.m., right? Proclaiming his worth in how we respond to him and how we live our lives for his sake before others. Amen? Let me ask you this morning. Is there anyone or anything that should have anywhere near his authority in our lives? Is there anyone whose word we should respect and honor any more than his? Is there anyone to whom we should take our promises more seriously? Is there anyone or anything that more so deserves our time and attention? Both for his awesomeness and for his love? Church, let's take another look at Jesus. Let's see him, yes, our loving Savior on the cross. But let's also see him in his majesty and in his glory. God wrapped in flesh who deserves our worship. Amen. And like the other disciple, Thomas, when he had seen the risen Christ, when he saw the nail pierced hands, And the hole in his side fell to his knees and said,
1: My Lord and my God.
0: Jesus, we worship you this morning. Oh, Lord, forgive us for... Maybe. Maybe. I know I speak for myself. Forgive me for being too casual. With you.
1: You're my friend, but you're not my buddy. You're not my homeboy. You're God.
0: I want to proclaim you as that today here in this place, but more than just Sunday morning. I want to see you as God and follow you as God tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday evening, Friday morning, in my quote-unquote downtime.
1: I want to honor you
0: for who you are. Help us, Lord. To see that balance. Help us to be in awe and to be in joyful celebration
1: at the same time.
0: To address you with respect and yet to address you with tender affection. Help us, Lord. To know what that balance
1: is and to walk in it for your honor and for your praise. Thank you, Lord.
0: I want to share a song this morning. It's a song uh, you might be familiar with. I know the choir has done it within the last, I don't know, six months maybe. But it's a song, it's one of those songs that just captures, I believe, in my heart, that sense of his awesome presence. Let's honor him this morning. Worship you here in this place. We exalt you. We enthrone you on our praises this morning. Be glorified, Lord, in our hearts. Be magnified in our lives. Touch us, Lord. Touch us reveal to us, Lord, your majesty and your greatness. Not only so that we can respond to you in awe, but that we can grab a hold of grace that much more gratitude in our hearts. We praise you and we thank you. In honor of your matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.